It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Welcome once again to Know Your Legal Rights. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., General Manager of KWAM Radio, and I'm sitting with my attorney, Dallas Elder Law Attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don, and actually we're sitting virtually together. Yes. Uh, unlike the old days in like March mm. when we were in the radio station, um, we're doing things uh, virtually and uh, doing things by phone, so hopefully the listeners will... will understand that. Yes, and I, I think they do after we've been doing this now this way instead of face-to-face um, telephone to telephone or cell phone to cell phone for many months now, and they realize that I think I had this week, I lost count, at least 10 Zoom calls because we don't have any choice but to do those kinds of meetings that way. Um, and they're turning out to be very uh, productive and efficient, um, much more than I realized, although there's nothing like the face-to-face and the old-fashioned way, which I know you prefer as well with your clients and even your workshops, I presume. But um, at least we have this technology to rely on until things get back to normal, whenever that is, whatever that is. Yeah, and I I hope that the listeners will also understand that, obviously, when we're in the radio station, you have all that modern equipment as opposed to the cell phone, so the quality will be... uh, We we hope that it's more important is the content as opposed to uh, maybe the uh, quality that may otherwise be... uh, uh, not quite the same. Yes, well, your results are okay quite say. good. Your workshops are filling up, and those three workshops, which we'll talk about soon in the program. Um, so I think they are enduring the lesser quality because it is good enough. And like you said, it's the content, not necessarily how good the sound is or the audio is. And today we want to continue with um, the program in this new fashion and talk about trusts, which is like your middle name. You know everything about them. And the um, the good news and bad news is that um, there are a ton of trusts out there um, from which a listener can choose in order to effectuate the right plan for them. And you wanted to discuss those many trusts. I'm sure that I don't think that we'll be able to go through all the different types of trusts in this uh, radio show. But I thought that we would talk about, since there are so many different types of trusts, and a lot of people don't know what a trust is or yeah. they think it's only for the wealthy, that I thought, and it's, a trust aren't for everybody, but mm-hmm. I think that's some of the things that people should at least understand. Is it good for me or is it not good for me? And that's okay. And uh, at least have a little bit of knowledge. So it, whether it's something they want to do or not do, that's okay. Right. As long as they understand how they could be used in different, different way, any different ways, then that's all. It's just, that's what this whole show is about education. And trust. And I've learned from you over the years, a trust is simply to protect your assets, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you protect your family. and you, mm-hmm. and you can, Or whatever it is that you want. So some people do trust because they want to protect against uh, creditors or 
bad marriages or spouses remarrying or disability or there could be tax reasons right. or it could be for public benefits reasons or it could be there's so many different things and we'll talk about some of those things here today. Uh, so there are different types of trust. In fact, there could be trust within a will. So those are things called testamentary trust. And also there's trust within trust. Uh, you know, you could have a trust within a will or you could have a trust within a, a trust. Mm-hmm. So a testamentary trust means it goes to your last will and testament. The most common one would be if somebody was, let's say, a minor or underage. Um, the, if you're, you know, usually if you're, let's say, uh, you have a child that's a beneficiary, they can't handle things. So typically in people's wills, for example, they say if a child or perhaps a grandchild, let's say a child predeceases you, grandchild would take that share, then they may have uh, a trust for their education or health or maintenance or support until they're whatever age you think that they're mature. Now, some people may never mature. (laughs) Sometimes you even have a contingency. So you say, well, okay, at age 25, it either goes to that child outright Mm because it's used for their education prior prior to that. Uh, In other words, you could have a trust that says, okay, this is for you still for this child or grandchild. However, if they're, um, uh, it's to be used mostly for their education, then at age 25, okay, they get it outright, if they're mature. Mm-hmm. You could have it just go to them outright. And if it's not even economical, you could even have the trust terminate, go to, let's say, Uniform Crimes First Minors account, which is an account where they might have, uh, uh, you know, we had one, we originally set up a trust for somebody this week where they were going to get this large amount. And then um, they decided, because of different changes of things that happened within the year, they decided to give a lesser amount. And we said, well, it's such a, since it's such a small amount, what we're going to do is we're just going to have it. There's still a minor, but we're, it's just not worthy of having a trust because there's just not enough money. So we're just going to have it transferred to a uniform transfers to minors account which is just a bank, just go to a bank and there's like, uh, you could have an account set up for somebody until they're 18 or 21, depending upon the state. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't economical. And so sometimes you even put provisions that if it's below X amount, it's just not worth having a trust um, because it's just, the, you have to have a tax return for the trust and just not no longer economically feasible. Right. So an underage trust is a common one. Another one that's common that we have in a will, at least in our even our standard wills. I know most standard wills don't have a contingent disability trust, but in the elder law world, we always do, uh, because thirty percent of Americans become disabled at life, and most people don't have long-term care insurance either. So if you have a, a spouse and they don't have long-term care insurance, and you die, and they become disabled, of course, people are living longer, you always have a, we always have a disability trust in a will. So in other words, that type of trust, if they can't handle the funds, then we should have somebody, they're still, for their benefit, it's just that somebody else is handling it, and if they need public benefits, the trust is designed within the will that says it basically doesn't count for public benefits purposes. Uh, that's really important to save a lot of funds to make the money stretch out. And so if you had an I love you will all to my spouse and you didn't have long-term care insurance, well, then you probably, at least in our world, that would be 
uh, almost malpractice because you're 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 giving the you're, you should give the flexibility to preserve resources. In fact, I got a call this week from somebody who had a will and the child was a beneficiary, and you could actually go to court to change somebody's will after they die because under our laws in Texas, if it's for either tax reasons or for public benefits reasons, you can change somebody's will after they die. So anyway, but you didn't want to have, that's more expensive to do, and so you'd rather just have it in the trust to begin with. It's not, I know uh, most wills don't have that, but um, in the elder law world, we know that even in a case in Maine, I believe it was years ago, that the attorney knew that there was a disabled beneficiary. They didn't do a, have a trust. They even that attorney even got disbarred by the state. So we take it pretty seriously. Yeah. Uh, not that that not that we think that that's what should happen, uh, because most people there's no God given right to public benefits, but, or perhaps saving on taxes. But at least in Texas, they give us that flexibility, so we do think it's important, at least our legislatures do. So you should probably have that if you don't already. And that's in any uh, will, generally, unless there's just not any funds you know, at all. So anyway, uh, so a lot of times we take advantage of what the laws are to preserve resources, not only to take care of the person who's disabled, because we don't know what... We don't know whether or who our beneficiaries are going to be at the time of our death because we haven't died yet. Right. And so, uh, and we don't know if they'll be disabled or not. Well, anyway, that's a simple example, uh, or at least I think a simple example of a contingent testamentary trust. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to create a new trust. It's just part of the will. It's just part of the will. It's okay. If this happens, if my beneficiary is disabled, it goes in this box called a disability trust. Or it goes to this trust that's like a miner's trust. Great. Or you could have, let's say, or if you're concerned about your spouse remarrying, it goes into a trust for, uh, to be held for that uh, uh, person's benefit, for their access, and then after their death, especially in second uh, marriage situations, it goes for their benefit during lifetime, and then after death, it goes to my kids or whatever. Beautiful. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up already because that's always been sort of your middle name, too, and that is what if. It's what you sort of rapid-fire everybody when they go to those vision meetings with you after they attend the workshops, and you lay out every possible scenario. It's not like you're sitting there with a list or a sheet to read from. You know um, in your head exactly what to ask them. You don't have to read anything, just like this program. And you've been doing it with me for five years now, and you never read anything. It's all uh, like your middle name, basically. And that's a beautiful thing. And um, it happens at your workshops, too, which is always so enjoyable um, because the audience gets to say to you when you start the workshop, um, what if, meaning, Michael, I have this situation, and what do I do here? And, and the next workshop is scheduled for Thursday, July the 30th at 1 o'clock, where you get to attend virtually, meaning online, meaning via the Internet. You just go to a video conference session that Michael has, which is the workshop, and you sign up by going to my, uh, going to Michael's website or calling his office, and then you get to attend that workshop virtually, sitting in your living room or your office or your kitchen, and you get to join with 25 or 30 other people and ask those what-if questions at Michael's workshop. Is all that accurate so far, Michael? Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, it's a free educational workshop. We ask people, what do you want to know? And that's mm -hmm. what makes every workshop different. 
because you know, the questions are going to be different in every workshop, and we just answer whatever the questions may be. Yes. So one person may be concerned about public benefits, and another person may be concerned about uh, state taxes or um, uh, concerned about a spouse remarrying or a problem with a child or something else that I, you know, we don't know what they'll be asking. They could right. be something about the, the new, a new coronavirus legislation that may be coming up shortly. Right. And so, uh, you know, so we don't know what the people are going to ask. Uh, it could be, you know, what happens if? What if the estate tax limit is reduced? What if? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Medicaid benefits? What about what about these ladybird deeds? It could be anything. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We just ask what you want to know, and we talk about it and explain it. Excellent. And there are two hours. Yeah. There are two hours. Um, you join with 25 other people. You can be a part of it, and you don't have to be seen. You can just listen to the audio, but you can see what's going on the entire time. Um, and then if you attend his workshop, Michael, then tell them that the, the benefit or gift they receive by going to the vision meeting after. Yeah, the, so if you go to the two, so the first you get two free hours of benefits by, and the fact that you get to learn without any right. obligation. And it's from the freedom of your own home that you get to go. And so it's, you know, it's not any, uh, you just get to hear whatever it is that you want to hear. And uh, it's free education, just like this show. And then uh, we, but we accept the one difference is we're going to be answering your questions. Right. And, then, uh, after we've had that workshop where you've gotten some more education, then we go even more into your own individual situation. If you desire, it's also free. We give a free one-hour, what we call, vision meeting, uh, where we go over your own situation. You might send me your estate planning documents and see whatever it is that your concern is. Uh, and then we just kind of go over that and see whatever it is and let you know what you're, what's, the, what's good about what you have and what's necessarily uh, if there needs to be any changes or not be any changes, or at least let, let you know what your options are. And then you just decide whether, uh, you know, if there's something you need to make change or not. And it's not any obligation. It's just, just you know, just a, an educational process. Just learn more and more to do things that would be best for you and your family to protect your loved ones, the way make sure things go the way you want, not only if you should pass, but if you should become disabled. A lot of times people forget about that. If yep. you want to go to that free estate planning essentials workshop and perhaps take advantage of that free vision meeting, although there's no obligation for that, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. Excellent. Already, more about t- types and kinds of trusts. Okay. Now, the most common trust is a revocable living trust, and uh, most people do that to avoid probate, to avoid probate. Uh, although there's other benefits like privacy. You don't have, you know, when you have a will, you might probate a will, and then, uh, and then the will is a matter of public record. You might have an inventory of the assets that might be a matter of public record. So with a trust, you have privacy. Also, a trust becomes effective immediately uh, once you sign it. Of course, you have to fund the trust, which means you have to retitle assets into the name of the trust. But the the idea is that you avoid probate, and if you become disabled, the trust, a trust never becomes disabled or dies. People do. 
So even if you lost middle capacity, whoever your alternate trustee, presumptively you're the trustee to begin with uh, most of the time. Uh, so usually when they have a revocable trust, people are the ones who set up the trust. They're usually called the grantor, trustor, settlor. And they're also the trustee. They're in charge of their own assets until they die or until they become disabled, but it's used for their benefit until they die. Because they're in total control, it's their social security number, nothing has changed from a tax perspective, you've avoided probate. And usually, most of the times, although you'd have to look at it from state to state, um, usually there's not many changes. So if you have property out of state, for example, then you would want to have a trust normally because you don't want to have to probate in two states. You don't want to pay an attorney in two different states. Or if you have an ongoing business essential for self-support, or if you just want to avoid probate, or if you think there'll be more of a problem as far as contesting, it's more difficult with a trust than a will. It's not to say you can't ever sue anybody for anything, but uh, with a will, there's a notice period. You have to go through the state's rules, and so there's more of an opportunity to probably, or it's easier to sue and stop things uh, with a will than it is with a trust. Okay. But, uh, a trust usually is used to avoid probate. Uh, is the most common thing, uh, but there are numerous other reasons. You, you don't have to go by the state's laws. You make your own laws, so you don't have to worry about who's the judge and do they have their own rules, and there's going to be a lengthier period of time to settle the estate. Because with a trustee, you know, you have you just have whoever's next is in charge. Got it. So last week we talked about uh, probate, and probate means verify, and trust means protect, just to put it in simple terms. Yeah, I know. A revocable trust doesn't give you creditor protection. If you want creditor protection, you could have an irrevocable trust. Mm. Just like these kind of... So if you want credit protection, so there's different things, so which whatever your goal is. So let's say you have a business that you wanted to protect or something, and it wasn't having all the protections that you desired. Uh, you could do things uh, by putting it in a certain type of trust that's irrevocable. And then there's some different ways that you could do this. Now I'm going to get a little bit more technical. So mm -hmm. let's say that you wanted to take advantage of low interest rates uh, and you did not want, if you had a larger estate, you could have an irrevocable trust that could be both, could be, okay, you can sign trust. There are different ways that you have to think about things from a tax perspective. There's income tax uh, considerations. There's um, step-up in basis considerations. You know, a step-up in basis is, let's say you had Google stock and it was worth $100 and it was worth $1,000 at the date of your death. If you wanted to have a step-up, you have you could have certain language in the irrevocable trust, even though uh, it's irrevocable, where you can design the trust where either for income tax purposes, step-up and basis tax purposes, or estate tax purposes. Okay, so now I'm getting a little bit more technical, maybe too technical here, but just to let you know, you can design trust in different ways. If you want to be taxed, and even though it's an irrevocable trust, most irrevocable trust, you might think, well, that's a different person. You can't make any changes, so it's a different tax ID number. Right. However, you can design it where it's where it's either for income tax purposes, it's yours, or for step up basis, it's yours, or state tax purposes, it's yours, depending on what your goal is, or a combination of those things. And you could do it any way you want. So you have to use certain language of the Internal Revenue Code. It's kind of like going to Luby's Cafeteria. Uh, Luby's is not a sponsor of the show, but this is a free promo for Luby's. <laughs> it's whatever mm -hmm. you want. So if you want to be a 
a trust for income tax purposes, you can use these sections 671 to 679 of the Internal Revenue Code. Or then if you are looking at estate tax issues or step-up issues, you look at sections 2031 to 2035. And then you just put the language and you have to talk about the different things. So, you know, like I was just about to say, let's say you had a business, these are really low interest rate times, you have you could have what's called a power of substitution, and you have a really kind of low amount. Uh, you have a let's say you put a business that you think it's going to grow, and you have a large estate. You might have it where it's not a part of your estate for estate tax purposes, but it's yours. Uh, you have a, a low interest note where you're getting low income taxes on the note that you got for swapping this property. It gets kind of technical, and I don't want to get too, too technical here. But just to let you know, uh, you could do it that way. Or a lot of times for Medicaid, let's say Medicaid, uh, you have a nursing home. A person who may be going to a nursing home has uh, too much resources for Medicaid. They may want it where they don't care about that type of stuff. That's more for the wealthy. We want it where it's part of we have the step-up in basis and still tax us at our individual low tax rate as opposed to a trust tax rate. To okay. do that, you put these language, so you just have that toggle, basically, it switches to what you want. Okay. It's kind of complicated. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so everybody could do, you could design different trusts. If it's irrevocable, it has immediate credit protection, uh, but it does, uh, but then you have to lose control of something. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what that something is and what you've retained control over. So you okay. can think it could be uh, kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. Questions on that? No. Um, well, very not, helpful. If not, <laughs> if not, I'll tell you about another trust. Please. And that is a special needs trust. Okay, a special needs trust is, you know, a lot of times there's people um, want, and it, it depends on who sets up the, the special needs trust. If you set up the trust for somebody who is disabled, then, uh, and it's your funds, then it doesn't count for public benefits and because we want to encourage to help take care of people who are disabled. You could have it standalone. In other words, you create your own trust now. Or you could have it come fund into a trust upon your death uh, in your will or in your trust if it's not a spouse uh, under the Medicaid rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the, if for, for a will, you could do it for a spouse, but for a trust, you cannot. So it's just okay. the Medicaid rules. So, so basically, if you set up a trust um, that there's no what they call payback provision. In other words, the government wants to take care of those who are disabled, but if you create that trust with your own money, the government wants to be repaid to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. However, if somebody else sets it up, then then there is no payback provision. So you could have a, that's what's called a third-party trust, a third-party trust. So if it's your funds, it's a first-party trust. If it's somebody else's funds, it's called a third-party trust. And so there's no payback with a third party. So you can create a standalone trust. You can create trust within your will. You can create a trust within your trust. And if there's really limited funds, there's even a thing called a pool trust. So if somebody has lower amounts of funds, uh, if they want to establish a third party, basically part of a pool trust, you can do it that way. If it's their own funds, they can do it uh, themselves, uh, provided they are under 65, under 65 on a special needs trust, if you create it for yourself, uh, whether it be your own special needs trust or for um, uh, if you put it into a pool trust, you have to do it before you're 65, at least in Texas. Now, the rules differ from state to state because they uh, often penalize you if you do it after that. 
from just the federal laws. Oh my goodness, this is getting kind of complicated, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's all these different. This is why I say it's like movies. Whatever your, your situation may vary, mm-hmm. and you just have to know it. So there's certain times we do it. A trusted standalone. Somebody else might contribute, or it could be that you just uh, say, "Oh, I just want it funded upon my death," or it could be any number of things, um, and, and it could be a contingent trust within your will. If you have an IRA, then we have to also consider tax issues. Oh my God, my head's starting to hurt. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you have you, with the with a disability trust, it's an exception to the rules where you can stretch out the the IRA that's inherited if the person is disabled. However, you don't want to lose their public benefits, so you have to have special language so they don't lose their public benefits. So you can have. So we had one right now that we're doing, and I'm going to be talking to uh, 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 you know on uh, this Friday where the one child is disabled and another child is not. They wanted to protect the disabled child and protect as much po- as possible the assets. So all the retirement accounts are going to be after the second spouse dies. It's going to go to the the child who's disabled, because they could, under the laws, under the SECURE Act, they could stretch it out over their life expectancy, keep the funds that are to be distributed within the trust to not lose public benefits, whereas all the other assets, we wanted to protect the other child who's been divorced from marital problems, she's kind of a spendthrift, so we want to make sure that we protect her from herself to spending the money as soon as she gets it. So we have protection from creditors, uh, being a spendthrift, uh, for her remarriage, so that we make sure we take care of the grandchildren. So you could have all sorts of different types of things. So we have to, now you're starting to see all the different complications that we have to ask to see what is it that's important to you. To how do we make the most, to make the money here in this case, stretch out, protect somebody from public benefits, uh, and to make that money stretch out, and also protect the other child. So now that after it's been stretched out, if the disabled child dies, he doesn't have children, it's going to go to the non-disabled child. Right. Now they'll have more money. Right. So it gets into a lot of different things. Uh, there's not just that. There's income tax issues, estate tax issues, capital gains tax issues, lots of different things. And it really just depends on the person. And you can see it could be that you just have a simple trust. It doesn't matter. And so for some people, it's not a good idea to have a trust. They say, oh, gee, i got too many different things. I don't really want to. Um, it's too much of a hassle because I have so many different accounts. And other people say, well, gee, I... I'd rather avoid probate. Whatever, it's just—it's not a right or wrong decision. It's a matter of personal preference. And those trusts are tailored anyway. I mean, it's not just one set template for anybody. It's every one is different. You've taught me over the years. Right, right. That's why, and that's why. Yeah, a lot of people think just like they think of that. There's one will out there. They think there's one trust out there. Right. But you see, that's why these workshops are all different. Because everybody's situation is different, and you have what the goal is is to have the X-ray, the vision meeting, to see yeah. what your own individual situation is, so that you can determine, oh, how can I do things the way I want? I'm in control of my life. How do I protect myself and my family under my own terms and conditions, so that if, whether I'm either disabled or die, to make sure that things are the way that I want especially in these pandemic days that we see that we have our own mortality. So if you want to know more about that, the probably the thing to do is to go to our next workshop. And all you have to do, as we said earlier in the show, is to, which is going to be this coming Thursday, that's Thursday, July 30th at 1 o'clock, mm-hmm. by calling us at 
214-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or signing up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And we will um, hope to see you there. And I think you'll find out that you'll learn something. Even if you didn't ask your own questions, you'll learn something from somebody else. Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen. We thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 214- Seven two zero zero one zero two. That's two one four seven two zero zero one zero two. A talk show host on seven seventy KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 